Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark? If you got one of these fancy ribbons, just go ahead and keep it there. We're gonna be here a while. We made it to verse three last week, so I'm feeling... Uh, by Easter, we should be out of chapter one at this rate. Um, as we have uh, begun down this road, you know, it was important to me for, for many reasons of uh, what we're doing here with the book of Mark, but, you know, Mark was written, it was the earliest gospel. It was the one that was written closest to the time that Jesus was on the earth. And it was written at a time when people were beginning to think, you know, oh, I know this about Jesus, or Jesus did that, and did you know he flew everywhere he went? And, and did you know that when Jesus was little, he walked on his bathwater? Like, they... The people would begin to tell stories about what Jesus was. So these gospels were written as a, okay, he actually didn't fly everywhere he went. To our knowledge, he didn't walk on his bathwater, but here's what he did do and didn't do. And what's important about that is that in our culture right now, there's an enormous uh, emphasis on, well, here's who Jesus is. Um, in the 80s, some of y'all been around long enough to remember that in the 80s, even the 90s, people would say, well, I don't know about this Jesus, but I follow, I mean, God I get, but Jesus... But in this culture, it's actually switched a lot to Jesus. They're saying, I, you know, Jesus, I, I get it's, you know, he's a good teacher. We talked about last week, Russell Brand was, he's a great teacher. But what does the word of God say? And I say the word of God because this is literally the only communication we have of what he did and didn't do, of what he did and didn't say. And you have to admit that if you say something, well, I believe he did this, or I just don't believe he did that. If it didn't come from these four gospels, you have to admit that it is a part of your imagination. And that any Jesus that you have created in your mind can't change you, he can't transform you, he can't challenge you because he's you. You've created God in, in your image. And uh, this week we've had an uh, opportunity, real time in our culture on the internet, uh, a very famous pastor this week was saying, hey, you know what? I don't think we should, I think he's the word unhitch. We should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Now, I don't know this guy, um, Actually, from what I know of him, people that work for him, they, he's a great guy. So he might not have meant it the way it came out. But the way it came out was that Jesus said, hey, I give you a new command so you don't have to worry about those other 10. The problem, like, I don't know, when you say that, like, is the killing one, is that the one we don't worry about or not having sex with your neighbor's wife? Like, which one of the 10 do we, are we saying we don't want? But the point was, is that he was saying that's what Jesus said, but Jesus didn't say, that I came to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. He came to, a new command didn't mean I gave you an additional, when you just throw these others away, it's a new one, to love one another, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. But you have to go to the scripture to say, that's what Jesus did or didn't say. Does that make sense? So we're gonna, uh, here today in the book of Mark, I wanna read to you from verses four to uh, 14-ish um, about John the Baptist, and then we're, we're gonna pray and, and dive into his word. Verse and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. He was an overnight success. He just appeared out of nowhere. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey, which we believe would have been organic, free range, um, no chemicals. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse nine, at that time, Jesus 
he appears on the stage in the book of Mark, so to speak. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. I love that translation, torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. And at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. Let's pray. That's the word of God. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight into your word today, how that it would be the light that you promised, that it would be the lamp, that it would be the guidance. We ask for your the rhema word, that one that just speaks to us, for that to be alive in us today. Your word is alive, it's active, it's powerful, dividing between the soul and the spirit. And that's what we ask for today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. John shows up in the desert. By the way, when you say desert, um, it says wilderness in your, most of our translations. And uh, that's an unfortunate, I hate like correcting translation because I'm like, I'm so smart or whatever. That's not it. I'm just, the word wilderness to them meant something different than it meant to us. You know, for us, wilderness might look like the Pacific Northwest, you know, teeming with life and woods and good soil, but that's not the wilderness of, uh, the, of the, the Israeli country. This is a picture I took overlooking the Sea of Galilee uh, a couple of years ago. It was with my iPhone, Jim. Am I? Yeah, right. Thank you, photographers here. Um, that's the wilderness of Israel. This was actually uh, overlooking, I can't even remember what it was called, but this is sort of where, near where Israel would have been in the wilderness the desert. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's much more desert than it is forest. And that's important because when we see the word wilderness there, we'd think like, okay, Jesus is just in the forest picking berries and sleeping on, you know, like, but that's not the wilderness that we're talking about. I remember, uh, it's been a long time ago now, I was still uh, managing rock bands in my former life and it was actually going pretty well. Like we were having a you know, pretty good season. You know, our kids were you know, doing well. They were eating every day, like three times a day. So I felt like we were dominating. Um, <laughs> but it was actually this really good season until it wasn't. Like we had, uh, we were, I mean, it was like the me and Jesus years. I mean, it was like, we were doing good. It felt like everything was going good. But I had this weird thing happening inside of me where I felt like I wasn't, Good. Like I felt like I was unsettled. I only had the language of like a divine discontent. And I can remember pulling into our office over on Seaboard Lane. We owned a little building over there, a little platform management. And I remember a few times I literally having to muster the courage to get out of this car and go in there and care enough to manage another day. Um, I had like employees, like, you know, I couldn't be an idiot and people like get fired. And, and, and there are the people that go through a depression and that's, I, I recognize that, that that wasn't the season that I was going through. And that's not the season that I'm talking about. That's a thing and it is real, but that's, this is a different kind of a season. It was a season where I didn't know what it was that I was supposed to be doing. And was this it? And was it, it was a real dry and it was a real desert season. And I look back on it now and realize, oh, that was actually a divine season that God had ordained me to go into. 
Because God does his best work in the desert. When you think back on it, where was it that Jacob wrestled with God, right? I'm not gonna leave you until you bless me and hold on. It was in the desert when God was gonna rescue Israel, I'm gonna get you out of Egypt. He took him into the desert. And before that, he was you know, preparing a guy named Moses who had been in Egypt, but he sent Moses into the desert you talk about the desert. He's not only in the desert, he's there 40 years. He is herding sheep and there ain't even his sheep. It's his father-in-law's. How humiliating, right? So he's in the desert for 40 years. You see Peter in the book of Acts, he disappears into the desert for three years. John shows up in the desert. Jesus appears in the desert. The prophecy would be that this voice would be of one crying out in the desert. God does his best work in the desert. And if you're in a season like that right now, where you don't really know what's next for me, I don't know what God has for me, and it feels dry and it feels like I'm trying and I'm trying to care every day, understand this, that there might be something that God wants to do for you in the desert. And here, it, it, there's three things that I see. You might see more. The Lord might speak to you. By the way, if the Lord ever starts speaking to you when I'm speaking, just stop listening to me and start writing down whatever he's speaking. You understand? Sometimes, you know, sometimes the Lord will be like, hey, you know, I'm not offended by that at all. One of the things that Jesus does, there's three things here that I see, and I want to cover these as fast as we can because I know we're limited time this morning. But I believe that what Jesus does in the desert is prepare you. There's preparation, there's impartation, and there's communication. These are things that happen in a desert season like no other place uh, in your walk with him. The preparation is what we see happening here with John the Baptist. He comes on the scene. It says he appears on the scene. Now understand, it wasn't like David Copperfield. Ta-da, I'm here. He was an overnight, 30-year overnight success. He had been in the desert for 30 years. Do you remember when he's little, he's Jesus's cousin, okay? And some of y'all got lots of cousins and you, you know, families hang out with each other. But here's John the Baptist. His parents are very old. And you've got his Mary and Joseph, their cousins, they're very young. They end up in Egypt. They're running away to stay alive. And John the Baptist, his mother and father were very old. It's entirely likely that they died before he was out of childhood. Catholic history teaches us that he went into the desert with Elizabeth, that she was escaping Herod to get there. We, we actually don't know that. All we know is that for 30 years, John the Baptist had been living in the desert. 30 years. Now that said, when I think of John the Baptist, in the past I've thought, man, what kind of a, a wacko is this guy? He's wearing camel hair. He's eating bugs. It, you know what? It was actually, it felt like, is he Ted Kaczynski? Do you know what I mean? Like the Unabomber? That, he's living in a shack in the woods. And, and by the way, there is a, a fulfillment of a prophecy, right, of Elijah, that he, he'd be the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah, if you look, he wore hair clothes and he lived in the desert. So there's a prophetic fulfillment. But I'm not so sure that John knew that at that time. Maybe, I don't know. It actually says that the word of the Lord came concerning his calling in the desert. We just don't know when it came. What we do know is he's been living in the desert. And if the voice of the one calling in the wilderness is the prophecy, then whoever that is is gonna have to be someone who knows how to survive in the desert. The preparation he was under, I mean, think about it. If you're in the desert, I was watching, um, I was, do you know about the Bear Grylls? The, the, the escaping, or what, not the escaping, the surviving guy, Bear Grylls? It's a show I like to watch with my son. 
And I was watching an episode with him and it, he's in the Sahara Desert and in the Sahara Desert, he, uh, he finds a dead camel, true story. He cuts the camel open, guts it. I had a picture of this and you're welcome for not showing it. Um, you can Google the video when you get home. I just know there are squeamish people here. He, he takes the skin off of the camel, crawls inside the camel carcass, covers himself with the skin to protect himself from a sandstorm. Now that's crazy unless you're trying to survive in the desert. So when you think back on John the Baptist eating bugs, is he doing it because he's an eccentric or is he doing it because that's how you survive in the desert? My wife and I, they were, they were putting a little compilation of all the gross things that this dude has eaten in his life. And I mean, we couldn't, I mean, I'm like looking away, like Ethan's like, ooh, that's awesome. And we're like, oh, that's gonna squirt. Oh no, oh. Um. But that's a guy living in the desert because he knows that's the way you stay alive in the desert. So when you think of John the Baptist wearing camel skins, understand he's wearing camel skins, maybe not just to be a weirdo, but that's what, how you survive in the desert. That's where you get your clothes, from dead camels. So I think of John the Baptist in this whole new way, not as the Unabomber, but as Bear Grylls. I think that's important because the preparation that God was doing in John the Baptist, I don't know if he knew his whole life. If anything, maybe he thought, man, this really, really stinks. I'm in the desert. I could have been in Jerusalem. I could have been with my family, but instead I'm out here for 30 years. 30 years of preparation for a ministry that would ultimately last six months. 30 years of preparation. Moses, when he was sent into the desert, First of all, he started in Egypt, by the way, and he spent 40 years there. And he murders somebody and he gets sent away. And then he spends 40 years in the desert for his preparation. But think about this. When God told Moses, write this down, he could. He was in Egypt. They invented papyrus. They perfected written language. He was being prepared for what God had called him to do. Sent into the desert for his father-in-law's sheep. And God says, I want you to rescue Israel. I want you to bring them out through this desert. And Moses is doing exactly what I would do, which is, uh uh-uh, there's no way. I'm not qualified for this. I don't have the skills. And what does God say there in Exodus? He says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And in his hand was his staff. If you're gonna rescue three million murmuring and complaining people in a desert, what you need is someone who knows how to survive in a desert with sheep who are, when Jesus refers to us as sheep, you understand it's not a compliment, right? In our former life at our farm, we had sheep and I'm like, oh, Jesus wasn't complimenting us. That's not, but he was being prepared for that. Do you understand? That the, the preparation in your desert, you may not know what you're ultimately being prepared for, but you are being prepared for something whether you know it or not, it's wax on, wax off, karate kid style. I don't know, I just, but at some point I'm like, oh, I was defending myself. Now I know what I was being prepared for. And it turns out, by the way, one of the best training for being a pastor is trying to get four or five guys in a rock band to not kill each other and go play the concert and still love each other at the end of the day. That's just like managing small groups, but without, without instruments. 
I was literally being prepared to be a pastor and had zero idea. There was a preparation that happened for me. There's a preparation I believe that's happening for you in the season that you're in. And the preparation while that's going on. And by the way, sometimes like you're in this season for one of these reasons, sometimes all three of them or two out of the three. The good news is, is you'll figure it out as you go. Uh, God will show it to you. But this season that Jesus was in, there wasn't just preparation that he was in. He was being prepared in a wilderness. God was sending him back into a wilderness for preparation. But there was also a supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit that happened in a desert with Jesus. It says that when he was into the water, that the Holy Spirit came over, hovered. I don't think, I know that our modern paintings show it as an actual bird. I'm not, I don't know, maybe there was a bird. It just says like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. The language that it's using is the language of fluttering over the water, the same language of when the Spirit in Genesis 1 hovered over the deep, fluttered over the deep. The Spirit of God fluttered over Jesus. There was an impartation of the Holy Spirit into Jesus in the desert. Now that said, this is a beautiful promise because it wasn't only that Jesus was being imparted the Holy Spirit at that moment, but the picture in general is a picture of the Holy Spirit for us. The, The Jordan River, when I first went to Israel, I thought, Phyllis, that it would be like the Cumberland River, like this big old river that you put a barge on it, you know, and maybe some jet skis. I just, I don't know, I just thought it'd be a big old river. But it was like the Harpeth River, Like you could put a canoe on it and you could walk across it. It wasn't that impressive. It was cold, I'll tell you that right now. It's like baptizing someone in a glass of tea. It was like freezing. But but when you look at it from Google Earth, what you see in the desert is this little strip of water and just a teeny little spot on either side of the river is a little bit of green and it's in the middle of a wilderness, in the middle of a desert. The prophecy that Mark says that Jesus fulfilled, or that John fulfilled, behold a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That prophecy continues in Isaiah chapter 43. And if you've got your Bibles, you could turn there or you could go there later and write it down if you want. But listen to what that prophecy, it continues on to say. Speaking now of Messiah. See, I am doing a new thing. Verse 19, it springs up, but do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me. Who did it say Jesus was with? The the wild animals, the jackals and the owls. Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they might proclaim my praise. He's speaking of water that would be in the wilderness, that would rise up out of the desert. And we know later that Jesus would speak of that water as the Holy Spirit. He says, and in John, when he, the woman at the well, he says that from you, rivers of living water, those who believe rivers of living water would flow from within you. And then in chapter seven, he goes on to say, he's talking about this water that I would give you that you'll never thirst again. In verse 39, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come. The promise that he's saying here is that in our world, that in the world we're in right now, this is the Genesis three world. This is not the new earth and the new heavens. 
that whatever we're in right now, as good or as bad as it is, even the best days here is still the wilderness. It's still the Genesis 3 world. And you can jimmy rig some water in the Genesis 3 world. Have you been to Las Vegas? They built a city in the desert. Do you understand? Like the dadgum desert, there's no water. They put a city in it. And it works because, oh, we built this system here, the Hoover Dam, and we got this lake, we got Lake Powell, we got Lake Mead, which these past few years has been in crisis mode because they're running out of water. Those reservoirs are at 40% right now, dangerously low. By the way, the, uh, the end of the, uh, the book, The Big Short, which spoke about the financial crisis that happened in our country, the guy that solved that and made billions of dollars off it because he identified it coming way ahead of time. You know what his latest investment is? Water. It's a whole sidebar. The point being that they built a city in the desert and they thought, well, we can jimmy rig this and keep it going. And it works until the water runs out. Anything that we do here, whether it's through our careers, through our marriages, through our just identity in general that is not from the Holy Spirit will run dry again. The wilderness is where people go to die. You can't sustain life in the wilderness unless God shows up. And this picture here is a picture of what the Holy Spirit was meant to do in our lives. And in the wilderness is your reminder that if this has ever happened to you before, like you've lost your job and you thought, well, my job was important, but I didn't realize how important until when I lost it and my entire identity was taken away from me. That's a trip to the desert, by the way. And that's a trip back, oh, that well ran dry. It happens all the time in Middle Tennessee. We get here, we get our kids in the right school, we get the right career thing, we get the right neighborhood now. And then something happens and it pulls it away and Jenga, bam, it's gone. And you've taken a trip to the desert of a reminder that, oh, I said that was just important, but that has actually become paramount importance because I've lost everything and now I'm, I'm depressed. And I'm, but the, the point and the gift of that is, is it's a, it's a journey to the desert so that the Holy Spirit now can remind you, oh, this is the real water. The water that lasts for an eternity, a supernatural impartation. That water is available to us at any given day, a moment. But in the desert is when we're reminded we, it wasn't, that's what the people of Israel learned, right? Jesus wasn't an add-on. It's not a, a vitamin supplement. He's everything. That's the impartation of the Holy Spirit into us that happens in a desert. And the beautiful part, man, is the communication that comes. It's hard to hear from God in seasons of plenty because you know why? There's just too much noise. In my most successful seasons, I didn't need God so much. I thought it was about my cleverness, about my creativity. And I stopped hearing from God. You understand Jeremiah 31, Hebrews says that this is the promise of the new covenant was that he would write his will on your hearts and on your minds. His promptings and his leadings to you. When you're in the desert, you hear them crystal clear because there ain't nothing else to hear. And in seasons of plenty, man, you don't hear them as well as you do when you've been, all that has been taken away from you and that identity. And what did Jesus hear there, man? He's in Nazareth, he's hearing this voice from heaven. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to impart into you this impartation, but to communicate with you. John, it says chapter three, verse two, that that was where John heard the voice of God was in a desert season that he had a communion with him in a way that was unlike anything that happened in Jerusalem.
And it's important because when you think about it, like if you're John, like, I want to bring everybody into town. I want to go to town and tell this news. How's everybody going to hear about this all the way out in the desert? But you know why? Because you don't have to advertise a fire. It speaks for itself wherever it is. When we first started uh, this as a church, I really felt the Lord say to us to not advertise, to not market, to not try to be all that, to just let the Lord, to just let the fire of the Holy Spirit encompass us and then let the chips fall where they may. We've had plenty of communications from him over the years. We were in a desert season. How many of you are from the uh, Independence High School season? Are there very many of you? A few of you. We were setting up and tearing down in a high school every single day. It felt like a wilderness. Turns out that's another skill I was being prepared for, by the way, was how to back up a trailer. Uh, we're managing, managing how to back up trailers. I'm backing up the trailer every Sunday. We're setting it up, we're tearing it down, and we were running out of runway. And I was like, God, what do you want for, for us here? Like, how do we, what do we do next in this season? And I remember on a Sunday morning saying to our entire church family, about 180, I don't know how many it was. Mo would have it, he'd have it on his phone right now, probably how many it was. I don't know what we're gonna do. We, we gotta be out of this high school. We don't have any money. We don't have anywhere to go. And I remember that day saying that, look, I don't know what we're gonna do. I just know we're going to the Red Sea and we're either going swimming or he's gonna part the waters. I don't have a plan B. By the way, if you ever wanna see a miracle, uh, need one. That's the best ground for miracles to grow out of. It was just a few weeks later that the phone rang. It was Hillview Baptist Church. They moved us in here just three months, maybe four months later, that God spoke on our behalf. But it was in a desert season that he spoke clearly. And he speaks clearly to us. Because of the communion that we have, we partook of it today. Of the communion that he had with his father, that he sacrificed that you understand when he was being taken to the cross. What's in a desert? Thirst, thorns, loneliness, alone. And here's Jesus being taken to a cross. Remember, he was in a wilderness just a few years earlier where he was thirsty, where he was alone, where he was suffering, being prepared for this moment. They put a crown of thorns on his head drove it into his head, thorns in the desert. He was thirsty in a way that none of us have ever really experienced thirst, but he had been prepared for that. He had experienced that kind of thirst. And the loneliness, the cosmic loneliness of the angels who could have rescued him, turning their backs on him, of the heavenly father who loved him, turning his back on him, leaving him cosmically, universally alone. The ultimate wilderness so that we could have streams in our wilderness, so that the streams of living water would flow, so that you and I could then become conduits of his spirit. Because that's what he said, that the Holy Spirit wouldn't just come, but it would now flow through you and through me as rivers of living water. The ultimate loneliness, the ultimate thorns, the ultimate wilderness, so that we now could survive in this wilderness and one day be restored into the perfection of what he has for us. If you're in a desert season right now, might I encourage you to not hurry out of it? 
that season I told you about uh, years ago where I didn't know what I was supposed to do next? It was 2007, Shannon corrected me. Every year we would do, we called it the Haiti Bowl. We were raising money for our work in Haiti and, and I'm sorry for the Baptists, but we had a dance. Um, I know, I'm sorry, <laughs> we're all out. But that's why you know that in Bible college, that's why you were not allowed to have sex before marriage because it led to dancing. Right. So, but we did a dance. And that night I was feeling like, man, is this, I, I was just feeling this unsettledness of it. And it was down at Rocket Town, if you remember the old Rocket Town. And I had just been offered a job from a nonprofit to go and to speak to churches to recruit child sponsorships. And they would pay me and had like a dental plan. It was, pretty, it was a pretty rad offer. And I thought, well, maybe this is what God has been preparing me for. This is it. I'm ready to go. I'm waiting. Yeah, this is it. But I didn't really have any peace about it. And I remember the Haiti Ball because we, had, um, we, were, we, we would do a surprise guest every year. And this year it was Pastor W. Smith. And he was... Uh, playing friends like in soundcheck behind me and, and my phone rang and it was a woman named Diana Covey and she was a Holy Ghost woman in my life. Do you know, you guys have a Holy Ghost lady? If you don't have one, I recommend you get one. I don't know where you find them these days, but Diana Covey was a Holy Ghost woman in my life. She and her husband had been pastoring a church in the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation for the previous 20 years, but she was part of who led me to Christ when I was little. So she called me. I hadn't heard from her in years. To be honest, I'm not even sure how she got my phone number. But she calls like, hey, Darren, uh, this is Diane. I was like, man, that's crazy. Diane, I haven't heard from you in years. And she goes, I know, I know, no. This is crazy. I've just been praying for you and I've been praying hard. And I just, this might not be from God. And if it's not, just, you know, you don't have to listen to any of it. But just in case, I'm not gonna be able to sleep. So I gotta tell you this. I feel like God is saying, you've been asking, is there more for you in ministry? Is there something more? And the answer is yes, but don't kick the door down. She goes, that's all I have. I don't know if that means anything to you. And friends are friends forever. You know, in the back, I'm like. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a true story, by the way. It's somebody sound checking friends. So anyway, um, and I knew exactly what she meant. The kicking the door down into something was kicking the door down out of something. Right? And if I would have stopped on that day, taken that job, people would have lost their jobs. I would have shut the whole thing down. I would have been a disaster for the people involved. That's not how God moves. It was two more years of me finally just praying, God, I, whatever it is you want, I'll just do it. If, if you want me to be a manager for the rest of my life, I'll do it, whatever. And the season kept getting more dry and more barren. And it was a two-year journey and you know what? When the time was right, this is for you. If you're in that wilderness right now and you're waiting for the door, don't kick it down. The door opened when it was supposed to open. You are sitting in the open door of 2009 that was called Conduit Church. I had no idea. But that desert season was a preparation season. It was an impartation season and it was a communication season of the Father. And I believe for every one of us, that you have to understand that the desert is not an interruption of your Christian walk. It is your Christian walk. Yes, sir. Amen. You're in the Genesis 3 world. Satan is still the prince of the power of the air. We build outposts for the kingdom, but it won't be till later that that will all be perfected. On this side, those desert seasons are not something that are to be avoided. 
I mean, what did Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and what did Jesus, it sent him right back to the desert for 40 days. Jesus would, he would go to the city, he'd pray, and he would retreat to the wilderness. There's special impartations that happen there that can't happen anywhere else. And I stand to your feet, I wanna pray for you, I know it's 1215. Listen, you may not know right now what you're being prepared for. I don't know if John the Baptist did. I don't know. I don't know when he knew. I bet he didn't know that it was only gonna be six months. I bet he didn't know that he wasn't gonna get to be a disciple of Jesus. He didn't even get to be one of the 12. (laughs) But 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that six months of his life. Think about a billion years in. Whatever this preparation season is for this side of heaven, even if it's for one day and for one moment, but for eternity, you're being prepared for that season as well. A billion years in, that 30-year period will feel like nothing. Be encouraged this morning that God wants to impart to you in special ways. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit today would, we would be baptized in it, not in add-on, not a vitamin supplement, but a literal immersion in who you are, your Holy Spirit in us. We pray that for those of us who have once again come to the end of a well that we drilled that went dry, that we would turn back to you, Father, to that stream in the desert. Do we perceive it, Lord? Do we know it that you have drilled this stream that rivers of living water are flowing through us today? And God, I know that for some in our family right here, this church family, that this season is hard and it's feels like it's never gonna end. And I pray that you would be with them in real ways, live ways, like you were with John, like you were with Jesus, like you've been with me, that you would be with them as well. You never promised us a peace that came from understanding. You promised one that surpassed it. So we may not understand what the preparation is for, but we trust that it's for something. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Gang, God bless you. We'll see you next week.